All right, well, during this Christmas season, I'm trying to follow the advice of Kevin DeYoung. And Kevin DeYoung is a, is a pastor in North Carolina, a seminary professor, and he wrote an article a few years ago that said, uh, entitled, Pastor, Don't Get Cute This Christmas. He encouraged pastors simply to not to preach with props, not to preach with video clips, and not to preach with a cool Star Wars tie-in. Instead, what he said, he says, don't worry about preaching the same old truths or the same old things. People don't remember last year's sermon anyway. Go ahead and tell them the old, old story one more time. DeYoung said we don't need to preach against the evils of shopping and the, the dangers of busyness or come up with some clever cliches or long diatribes of niche Christmas theology. He said those coming to our services are struggling saints. They're weary souls, they're wayward sinners, stragglers who ventured into the church for the first time perhaps in many years. He said, quote, they need to hear about Jesus, about the Word made flesh, about the only begotten sent from the Father, about the one who fulfilled ancient prophecy, about the one who came to save his people from their sins. He said, don't be cute or clever, just preach Christ. Your people will be glad that you did, and looking back years later, so will you. And so this is our plan this Christmas season. I just want to tell you the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Because I know something about the old, old story. I know that those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. So last week we looked at uh, Christmas in Matthew, looking at Matthew chapter 1. We saw that Jesus is truly man, he's truly God, simple as that. And this morning, we'll be looking at Christmas in John. Particularly, we're going to look at John chapter 1. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, I encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew and the chair in front of you. You can certainly find John chapter 1. Ask a neighbor if you can't find it. That would be great. We're going to be looking at John, particularly John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And this passage here has a title. Does anyone know the title of this passage? Okay, well, that's what it says. Maybe that's your title in your book. But John 1, 1 through 18 has, has a, it's a name. What is it? John's Prologue. Exactly what it is. It's John's Prologue, and that's what we're going to be looking at. These 18 verses, which are, are typical Johannine, right? They're so picturesque and poetic and... And here and there, and tie it all in, it's a wonderful read. John chapter 1, 1 through 18. This is the simple story of the Word becoming flesh. John's prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that, he, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. This is John's prologue. Weaves together a lot of the themes coming up in the gospel and prepares us perfectly for that. It does tell us the story of Christmas, though, as the, the Word became flesh. These words are not quite chronological. Because we see here in, um, in verse 6 that John the Baptist enters the scene witnessing and testifying about Jesus before verse 14, Jesus comes into the flesh. And, and similarly, we see the rejection of Jesus mentioned before he even comes into the flesh. So it's not a, a chronological um, take on the life of Christ or the, the coming in. There's some chronological aspect to it. But as such, my outline this morning is not going to be strict verse by verse through the flow of the passage. I just want to pull out some themes right from here. And they're all, they're all much the same, right? They're all, they're, all, they're all similar. But let's begin in verse 1, which does relate to time. In fact, verse 1 speaks about Jesus before time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's Jesus before time. That's what verse 1 is talking about. Jesus before the world began. It's hard for us to, to contemplate and to understand what it means to be before the beginning of time. But, but that's what Jesus was. He was before time began, Jesus was. This is a, a subtle reference here to Genesis 1. 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the word, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. This is John 1.1. 1, 1. I got them mixed up because they're so close. But in the beginning is when God created the heavens and the earth. Right? The, the first day of creation, when time began, was at that point. But we're talking about before time began. Jesus, before time. Before God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was. He already was. He had existence. In the beginning was the Word. That is, when the beginning began, the Word already was. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Now, we got He and God. That's two. That's part of the Trinity. It's two-thirds of the Trinity. Jesus was with God. To add some theology, we could add the Holy Spirit here as well. The three persons of the Godhead. Before time began. In perfect harmony, in perfect happiness, in perfect unity, in perfect love, in perfect glory. Later, when Jesus was with his disciples, shortly before his death, listen to the prayer he prayed to his heavenly Father. He said, Father, John 17, verse 5, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world began. That's what John 1, 1 is talking about. Before the world began, I had glory with you, and I, I want to be restored to that, O Lord, because I'm on the earth, I've been emptied. In that same prayer, he's speaking to his disciples, speaking, speaking of the disciples, rather, praying to God. He says this in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Glory before the foundation of the world. There's love in the Trinity before the foundation of the world. 
By the way, the Jehovah Witnesses here might come to your door and knock and try to pull some fancy Greek with you and try to persuade you that the word is not God Almighty. Rather, the word here is a God, a small G God. Furthermore, they'll tell you the word was the very first created being. I'm just saying that's not the case. If you want a Greek lesson, I will give you a Greek lesson later, but that's, that would be getting cute at Christmas time, I guess. We're not going to be doing that. That'd be esoteric niche Christmas theology. We're not going to be doing that here this morning. I just simply say this, right? That, that there are things that are created and not created, and Jesus is in the not created category because it says in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing else was made except was through him. Therefore, he was one who was not made because he was the creator before time. It's really a simple question, right? Jesus a created thing or is he the creator and of course you just read that verse again all things were made through him Jesus is the creator all things through him and John goes on to clarify over again and without Jesus nothing was made that was made there's nothing that was made that was apart from Jesus and John goes to great extent to show that he wasn't a created being this is where Christmas begins in eternity past before time now, last week we looked at Matthew chapter 1, which begins with the genealogy. Who's the first person in genealogy? Abraham was the first person in genealogy. Went through David and finally went through Mary and Joseph. And I told you last week that Christmas begins with a genealogy. Christmas begins with Abraham. Abraham, the father of the Jews. Jesus came as a Jew to save his people. And it's true from an earthly sense. But here in John, we get the heavenly sense of where Christmas begins. And Christmas begins before time. It, it begins eternity past. It begins long before anything was created. And at that time, it's interesting, you, you should pursue, peruse the scriptures, say, what does it speak about right before the world was? Right, Just to think about, what was God like? What was the Trinity like before the foundation of the world? We know the glory was there, as Jesus talked about. We know there was love. And, and we also know there was some discussion Certainly there were many things discussed, but one of the things the scripture reveals is that there was a discussion about salvation. There was a discussion about how Jesus would come to save us from our sins. Which, by the way, then presumes that they understood about the fall because Jesus had to come. This is the discussion that Paul alludes to in Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And there it is, this conversation that they were having about, about those who would come, who would be predestined in Christ, in the dying of Messiah, who would come to be with him. They're talking about us before the world began. There's another discussion. Um, chapter 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 speaks about Jesus Christ and God who saved us and called us to holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the world began so even before the world began there was a, a giving of us to God in Christ Jesus a promise if you will so you got this promise, you got this, this choosing, we got this um, glory, we got this love going, all this is going on before the foundation of the world. All prepping for Christmas. You know, sometimes you might, you might be involved, and, and I confess this is probably my 
circumstances, oftentimes that Christmas just happens. And it doesn't just happen because we have a wife, (laughs) a mother, who makes things happen. And when I don't help, there's dissension. But this is what it, it is. It is God preparing all this. Shepherds didn't know about it. Mary and Joseph didn't know a lot about it. But, right? Many people didn't know about it as a mystery. And then boom, it happens. But there was a lot of prep beforehand. Jesus before time. Next point, let's think about Jesus entering time. This is the Christmas event. Coming here in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This, by the way, is why we know that the word, back in verse 1, is talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is the one, obviously, you read the rest of the New Testament, he's the one that became flesh and dwelt among us. You read John, and you see that Jesus is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's all talking about Jesus. And there's John, right? Beginning with the word. And now, only now, in verse 14, you understand who the word is. Which means that in order to fully understand the prologue, you, you have to at least read it twice. So that you understand what the word is talking about beforehand. So that when you come through, you understand what's going on. This verse here is literally packed with meaning. It pulls from eternity past with Jesus dwelling with the Father, the word, everything we think about that, all those things. And it brings us into time as Jesus become flesh, becomes flesh, and as we celebrate this Christmas season, becomes flesh as a baby in a manger. And then not only it doesn't stop there, right? It brings us through his life and what we see in Jesus. We see his grace and truth. We see glory. Now here when it says that Jesus became flesh, this is where we get the word incarnation. You know what in means? In means in. Carne, what does carne mean? means meat like chili con carne right chili with meat so in me in fleshment is what incarnation means so what christmas is about when god took on human flesh to dwell among us and the picture here even of this dwelling among us is that of a tent typically the tabernacle in the old testament right he he dwelled among us he he took a tent he took up temporary residence with us and live with us. And the idea of a tent is that it's, it's temporary. You, you can pitch your tent quickly and you can take it up quickly. Carry it in your back to another location. Set it up wherever you want. And that's what Jesus did when he dwelt among us. He, he pitched his tent for a little bit. To live with us. For just a little bit. For some 33 years. And if you're looking to understand in some small way what this might mean. Or how it is that God became flesh. I just think my trip to the jail is a super good illustration. So I told you before, I spent these last couple of days in jail ministering to the inmates in there. And, and while in their pod, right, there, there's this language that was used sometimes, right? Because you have, you have the inmates and you have the outsiders. And there are some events sometimes where they, outsiders, can we have you over here? We just need to talk to you for a little bit. Or outsiders, why don't you go over here? Inmates, why don't you go over here? There's this, this language. But we are called those from the outside. And we were, if you will, incarnated into the, uh, the jail, the jail pod, to live for just a few days. And then we left. And that's who we were during our time in jail. We were the outsiders. We're just like Jesus. Jesus was an outsider. He went from glory with God forever 
like in this, this glory before the world began, and all of a sudden now he comes into the flesh to dwell among us for a, a little time. And, and, and like Jesus, we came to dwell for just a season. Our, our, our time there was just a weekend. It was temporary. But it was real. We talked with the residents, and we listened to them, and we hugged them, and we prayed with them, and we laughed with them, and we ate with them. We experienced everything that they experienced except spending the night. We didn't sleep there. We came home every evening. But Jesus did all that. He even slept among us. Jesus entering this foreign place to live and dwell with us. And that's what Jesus did when he came at Christmas. He walked with us. He had legs. He had feet. When he walked, his feet became dusty and dirty. They needed cleaning. I trust you remember in in John chapter 13 when he took the apron of a slave and cleaned the disciples' feet. He cleaned them because they were filthy. And Jesus' feet got filthy too. Jesus didn't float on on firm air. He, He was on... Uh, on terra firma. He didn't like fly from one place to another. He walked. Jesus talked with us. Now, maybe may seem obvious, but it's incredible that God actually spoke with his disciples and with the people of his day. He listened to them. He responded to them. He questioned them. He commanded them. Jesus, you might say, was one of the guys. That's what it meant that he became flesh. And Jesus entered into the human experience in, in every way. He felt the joy of the wedding feast at Cana. He felt the fatigue of a a long journey needing to sit down by a well for refreshment. He felt the pain of betrayal, misunderstanding. He wept at the death of Lazarus. He knew he was to die, suffering on the cross. Ultimately, that's why he came. The word became flesh so as to, to die John chapter 12, before his upcoming death, he said this, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus came to be with us, and he came to die, and he clearly knew that he was coming to die. But he came to die for us, so that if we believe in him, John 3.16, we won't perish, but have everlasting life in him. It's the whole reason why he came into the world. The whole whole reason why the word became flesh. He came to die for our sins. That we might have eternal life. Fellowship with God. And know a taste of what the Trinity knew in sinless perfection and glory and happiness before eternity. We will know that afterwards forever. If we but believe and trust in Jesus. It's incredible. Well, let's, let's look at Jesus in his time. So Jesus before time. Perfect fellowship with the Trinity. Jesus then coming at Christmas time. And, and I just want to think about what, what his time was like. Because John's prologue talks about that. It's part of the Christmas story because it's how he lived. I mean, the, the Christmas story begins in a manger, right? But it, it carries through with his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. We're in verse 4 this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In in other words, the very creator of the world came into the world as light which shines in this dark world to give us life. The light was there to see and and thus when the light was seen, the life was there to be had. Have any metaphors described this time when Jesus walked the earth? There's really hardly any better than this. That Jesus came as a light. He was the, the light of men. 
And Jesus came to shine in the darkness. That's what verse 5 says. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Though many tried to suppress Jesus, right? defeat him or overcome him, he, he prevailed. His light of light shined bright until the hour had come. But Jesus in his time was light. John's prologue right, continues to use this metaphor about Jesus being the light. John 1 verse 6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, the one given to prepare the way for him. Verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist was not a light. John the Baptist was a flashlight to shine on Jesus, to point the way he was a finger pointing. You remember John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, probably pointing at Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That was John's purpose, to shine light on the light, that people might see the light. John the Baptist was a lesser light to illuminate the greater light, and he knew, even in John chapter 3, verse 30, that Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Because he was but a small light. He might shine a light that people might see the light and believe in the light. Because the light was the true light identified in verse 9. This metaphor continues to go. This true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. This was Jesus during his time on earth. He was light. He shined to Nicodemus, who came to him, you remember? Came to him by night. I don't think that's an accident. That night oftentimes is a sign of uh, evil or a sign of uh, unknown. And Jesus then shines his light in that dark place to Nicodemus on that light, on that night. He shined the light to the woman at the well, identifying himself as the Messiah for the very first time. I, of whom you're talking about, am he. I'm the light. He shined the light on all those he healed. He shined the light on all the thousands that he fed. He shined the light on the religious corruption of the day. He shined his light on the path to God. In fact, he even said it, John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. And then he explains what that means. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, this is John in the prologue gearing up for you for the rest of, of the book of John. The light of life, which is exactly what it speaks about in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was a light of men. And Jesus shined for all the world to see. The sad reality, though, was that he was hated and rejected. We see that in verse 10 of the prologue. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. How sad. That the creator of the universe, the one who existed with God in eternity in the Trinity before the world began, came to dwell among his creation, stepped into time, and the world knew him not. This was Jesus in his time. Yes, he was a light, but he was rejected. Yet, he wasn't rejected by all. Re rejected also verse 11, right? Skip that one. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. And if you know the story of Jesus, right, carrying out, going into the Jewish people, right, healing, preaching, teaching, confronting the religious leaders, showing the way to God, and yet he was rejected. But not by all. If you look at verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, 
that is, right? Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who received Jesus were around the days of Jesus as he lived and as he was in his time. Just think of who believed. John the Baptist, I think, was. Oh, he had some doubts for sure, but John the Baptist was one. He knew Jesus came. Behold the Lamb of God. There he is. He's got to increase. I need to decrease because he's the one. The woman at the well received Jesus and believed. She went and spoke to her town. The Samaritans, they came and the town believed. The disciples believed. Oh, there was some doubts there, right? Thomas at the end put his fingers and hands. He believed. The man who was healed, his blindness believed in Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus believed in Jesus. As a result of believing, they said right here, for all who did receive him, who believed in his name, here's what you get when you believe and trust in Christ. You get the right to become a child of God. What a huge blessing that is to be a child of God. That's the result of Christmas is that we could become one of God's children if we but believe in this child. What an amazing thing. Adopted in his family. We can be called children of God. John tried to grasp it. In fact, this, this fact was so mind-blowing to him. When he wrote 1 John, he included this in 1 John chapter 3. It's how he begins that chapter. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. And, and some translations say not just see what kind of love. It's like, behold! What kind, what manner of love the Father's given to us. And here's his love that we should be called children of God. And, they say, and we are. We're children of God. Look at it. Behold it. Fathom. We can become his child because he became a child. And I've sort of drifted into my last point. Jesus in our time. So we think about ourselves because even verse 12 speaks about to those in Jesus' day who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That promise holds true to us today. So we believe him and trust him, right? We can become a, a child of God and realize it's not of us. It's, it's not because you've been to church. It's not because you have parents who believed. It's, it's not, right? It's because God does his work. Who were born, verse 13, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. God is the one who breaks into our life and causes us to be born again. First Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. We are children of God. In fact, this application of verse 12 to us is, is very true. It, it comes to us. In fact, John, at the end of his gospel, when he writes... He's writing, as it were, right, to us at this point. He writes to anyone who, who reads this book. John chapter 20, 30 and 31. <clears throat> now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here, coming back again to the prologue. But, but John is saying this, like, I could have written a lot of things, but I'm written, writing these to you, who believe this is after the life of Jesus, this is after his time, it's in our time. I'm writing these things so you might believe that this Jesus is indeed the Christ. And that when you believe, you get life in his name. Because he was the light of life. 
And Jesus today gives life. And he gives life because of the things that we see. If you look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glorious of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. You, you see a couple concepts, right? We see his glory. Not, not the before the world glory quite. But some, radio, you know, some reflection of that. We see his glory. <clears throat> He's upon the earth. We see his his grace, and we see his truth, and, and that's how we become a child of God, is through his grace and through his truth. You, you think about, how did, how did uh, Christ show his glory? He showed his glory by the signs that he did, right? Many other signs can be written, but, but these are written, right? What Seven miracles in the Gospel of John. He changed the water into wine. He healed the, the official son. He healed the man who was lame at the pool of Bethesda. He fed 5,000. He walked on the water. He gave blind man his sight and raised Lazarus from the dead. And John said, you know what? I'm just going to give you seven signs. And these are the signs that that we see of, of his glory. And then, of course, an eighth sign, maybe, if you will, being raised from the dead. To give us life. And, and these are for us. These are our miracles to show us that this baby at Christmas has got some glory as he performs these miracles. And then he, he fleshes here out about grace and truth. Just, just notice how through the rest of the prologue he speaks about grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Like, John the Baptist understood it. He was older. Than Jesus was. So he came first. Jesus came second. He was like six months older. But John knew that he was before him. John understood that he was before the foundation of the world. There's the prologue, just mixing all these things together. But then we come here. For from his fullness, verse 16, we have all received grace upon grace. Right? He's full of grace and truth. He receives grace upon grace. For law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. You see these things about grace and truth coming. You say, well, what is grace? Grace is Jesus, the baby, coming in the flesh. We didn't, we didn't earn that Jesus would come among us. We didn't earn that God would, would come as a baby to save us from our sins. It was grace. Picture in the Gospel of John, John 8, the woman at the well. Where are your condemners, woman? They all left. Neither do I condemn you. Well, that's grace. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's grace that we have such a shepherd who will give himself for us. And he did it willingly. Ultimately, he gives us eternal life by his grace. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is God's grace to us. Gives us life. Puts us in his hand. We're not going to be snatched away, for truly is. And truth. He's full of grace and truth. So we see at the end of verse 14. We see verse 16, grace upon grace, right? The, the law was given through Moses, which condemns, but, but grace comes through Jesus, which saves. Grace and truth even comes through Jesus Christ. Right? We're not just saved by mushy feelings, we're saved by the truth, by those things which are, are true. That's why we need to lift up. And know and study and read and cherish the word of God, which is, which is truth. And truth, though, often brings conflict. You read the Gospel of John, and he had conflict. 
chapter 5, and chapter 6, and chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, like almost every chapter. He's got conflict with these Pharisees because he's bringing the truth and they're bringing the falsehood. But as he was speaking these things, some people were believing what he was saying. And Jesus said this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide, you are my disciples. If you don't abide, you're not my disciples. And then Jesus even speaks about truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? We, we come through him. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And, and by the way, oftentimes, these are dichotomies which we pit against each other. Oh, well, I'm a grace person. I just love. Oh, well, I'm a truth person. I'm so straight. i got, I got to get it right. Jesus was the embodiment of both of those and at Christmas, this, this comes together in a, in a great way. Randy Alcorn says this. He says, Jesus is full of two things, grace and truth. Not full of patience, wisdom, beauty, compassion, and creativity. In this list, there's no commas and only one conjunction, grace and truth. Scripture distills Christ's attributes into a two-point checklist of Christ's likeness. The baby born in a Bethlehem barn was creator of the universe. He pitched his tent on the humble camping ground of our little planet. And God's glory no longer dwelt in a temple of wood and stone, but in Christ. People merely had to look only to Jesus to see what God is like. And that's what Jesus did. When he came to the flesh, he showed us what God is like. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We haven't seen God, right? Because God is spirit. John 4, God is spirit. Haven't seen God. But God the Son we have seen. And God the Son makes known the Father. That's what Christmas is about, is making known the Father. His, his love for us to come, to be our Emmanuel, to come and be with us. The thing that overwhelmed the, those in the jail is our sacrifice and our love of just outpouring. We're, we're, giving, them, we're giving them cookies. They're loving. We spent time giving them letters, which they're loving. Spent time praying for them. Spent time with them, giving them three days of our lives to come and spend there. And they're overwhelmed. And that's what God has done with us. He's come into the flesh to dwell among us, to save us and rescue us. And Jesus makes him known makes God known. He's the light. The things that he says is why you need to read what he says. Believe and trust what he says. He is the light who will give us the life. Let's pray. God, that's a simple Christmas message. Christmas in John is that Jesus was before time and that Jesus entered time and that Jesus in his time was revealing the truth but often rejected and Jesus in our time holds that truth and offer still out. God, oh, may we receive him. May we believe in him that we might be children of God. God, may you bless us this Christmas season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.